the year 1953. A plane touches down at Smithy's Airport in Sydney. On board is an American named Lee Gordon. The Australian music scene will never be the same again. From then until now, these are the stories. Hey there, this is Josh Ersam and you're listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. This episode is part of our Anzac Day special series. We talk to Australian music royalty, Cold Joy. The Battle of Long Ten took place on the 18th of August 1966 and is regarded as the most significant battle fought by Australians in the Vietnam War. The battle took place amongst the trees of a rubber plantation near the Aussie base at Nui Dat. The Anzacs found themselves horribly outnumbered by the Viet Cong forces. The 108 Australian and New Zealand soldiers were being attacked by more than 2,500 VC. Despite being outnumbered 20 to 1 and running seriously low on ammunition, the heroics displayed by our soldiers ranks alongside any wartime battle. When the guns fell silent and the battle was over, 18 Australian troops had been killed and another 24 were seriously wounded. Despite the odds, they had forced the Viet Cong to retreat. On that day, Cole joined the Joy Boys along with Little Paddy were at the Nui Dat base performing concerts for Aussie troops. As the fighting began, Little Paddy and the Joy Boys were able to escape by helicopter. However, in a moment of madness, Cole was kidnapped by a few Aussie troops and he missed the flight back to the relative safety of Saigon. He was now stuck in Nui Dat as the nearby ferocious Battle of Long Ten took place. We speak to Cole about his experiences performing for the troops in Vietnam. Interviewing Cole is the producer of awesome Aussie songs, Sheldon the Kangaroo Kid. If you've ever wondered how a band gets a gig in a war zone, here's how it happened for one of Australia's biggest bands at the time, Cold Joy and the Joy Boys. How did the, um, the tour to Vietnam come about? Well, we were running um, fairly hot at the time, I guess. We'd had a few hit records. And um, so I was invited by the Army. Now, the Army didn't invite many, many people. Most of the artists were going up for freelance for other promoters. But the army uh, said, will you put the show together? So, so, of course, we took Little Paddy with us and the Joy Boys went in. They're the unsung heroes of, of rock and roll in this country, actually. Definitely. I, I never did anything without the Joy Boys. So and do you remember what the lineup of the Joy Boys was at that stage? Yeah, it was Normie Day on guitar, Bruce Gurr on piano... Uh, Keith on bass, um, Ronnie Patton on saxophone, and um, on keyboards. Well, who played keyboard? Oh, Brucey Girl, of course, played keyboards. So there's the Joy Boys, the five Joy Boys, and uh, and me out front playing rhythm guitar as best as I ever could. <laughs> I usually got it right. So we went down and got our thirteen needles and uh, headed off for a dollar a day. That was the army. They had to pay you. So uh, we got the dollar a day. And you were able to wear all army gear except a civilian shirt. You had to wear a civvy shirt. And so uh, that's what we did. Hooked off and, and uh, found our way into Tonson at airport. I never thought there were so many aeroplanes in the world in one place. And uh, so that's how the show began. And I think... I did think we did 27 or 37 shows because um, you'd play hospitals with just me and my guitar and sometimes you'd wander through. Other play, other times you played on footpaths outside 
like a coffee lounge, little coffee tables when, when you were working for the Americans. But the Aussies always had some kind of setup. Before he became a pop star, Cole got a taste of army life when he did his national service at Holdsworth, the army base. So you mentioned, mentioned national service there. So you were a Nasho, were you? Yeah. Two oblique, seven three zero six seven two, sir. Bombardier <laughs> Jacobson. I was a gun layer in uh, in the artillery, and I was in um, D Company, Dog Company. And uh, as I said, I was a gun layer, and I was a number one. Where they they sort you out, and you have a competition, and whoever hits the target closest, <laughs> if you get within a day of it, you say you're number one gun. So I must have done. And uh, I must have got the closest because, so we were the arranging gun. So they just call it in and say, HE-117 charged and give you all the coordinates. And then you just level up your bubbles and slap the breech and say, I'm ready. And and uh, the sergeant out the back says, fire, and you pull the trigger and, and away you go. But um, one night it started to get dark. And after your fire reached around, they pump in a new one. So I got a, a, we got one up the spout and we heard nothing more and it's gradually getting dark and we had no torches or anything. So I had a rough idea where my bubbles were. And I said, you better call in and tell them we got one up the, up the spout here. And something came back and he said, I'll oh, fire it. So I, I pulled the trigger. <laughs> and they, I nearly hit the, all the, they had a, the brigadier and all the party up the front seeing where the rounds are going and show them how good dog company is as an artillery uh, unit. And uh, they called out, there's one coming, one incoming, and that was mine, and it wasn't levelled up very well. And uh, hit a jeep a little further out, and everybody dived for the, uh, the trenches and so forth. And it had been raining, and they came back, there was mud all, you know, they didn't look so good. And then they wanted me to fill out all these papers. I said, not my fault. Said he said fire it, so that's what I did. Before heading to Vietnam, they flew to Borneo to entertain the troops. We did a lot of show there, and the Bokka Music Bowl, I recall, um, was once again. It was on the day that they signed the armistice with the with the Indonesians and and Australians. That was on that day, or the next morning actually. And uh, as we were driving back to where we were coming from. And all these people were walking the other way. And I said to the Major, hey, Jack, who, who's Jack McGee it was? He was a larrikin. And I said, who are all these people? He said, oh, they're the enemy. I said, what? You told me they lived out the front. They had no man. He said, this is our perimeter. There's no man's land and that's their perimeter. And I said, they're all behind us. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, that, they'd have seen the show last night. <laughs> the crooks are living behind us. I thought they lived out the front. That was in Borneo. So we went from Borneo up to uh, to Vietnam from there. And um, once again, the Aussies were the best set up for everything. The Americans were pretty gung-ho. And uh, so we did, we did shows um, both for the Americans and the Australians. It was quite a time. It was different to most things I'd ever done. It was different to playing uh, Goldman or Gosford or anywhere else, actually. Yeah, different, different setup. Obviously, you, you, you knew you're heading to a war zone, 
But when you're in there, like when you're in Vietnam and you're, you're in the helicopters and things like that, was was it exciting? Did you sort of sometimes forget the, the danger side of things and sort of you're flying around in a Chinook helicopter or did you sometimes sort of have to pinch yourself to go, how am I here? Well, a lot of times we were supposed to go by truck, but uh, the name Cole Joy, C-O-L, then Joy, they thought I was, the Yanks thought I was a colonel, Colonel Joy. So we were able to hitch a ride on, on helicopters when uh, we'd have been on a bumpy truck. And uh, some of the, like they had the curfews on down at Nar Bay, you had, had to be off the, uh, the roads at four o'clock in the afternoon. Because after that, everything was suspect. That's when the, the fellow selling you the groceries or the bananas and uh, dry cleaning, and then he'd go home and put on his black outfit and suddenly become the, the other side. While you were selling your things, he was your best friend. And that, that's then Binwa Highway had to be off at six o'clock. Um, so there was pretty hard and fast rules. So, but in the, in the choppers, uh, well, I don't know. I just took it as a matter of course. I didn't worry too much about anything. I, there was another show, and I just hoped the re, the audience was re, receptive and on my side. When I found out that a lot of them lived behind you, know, I, I didn't fancy that too much. As the Battle of Long Ten was heating up, the Army Brass decided it was time to get Cole, Little Paddy and the Joy Boys out of there. They cut the third show short by 20 minutes and rushed the entertainers into a waiting armoured personnel carrier. They headed to the heliport where a waiting chopper was ready to take them to relative safety. I've recalled in uh, Benoit, in Niwidat, and uh, we did two shows and then the third show was the company had just been out on patrol. They came in, but we only had 20 minutes left. We did a 20-minute show, got in the, uh, the APCs and drove down to the heliport to leave and it rains rains like you've never seen there you can only see you know short distances so we were sitting in the apc waiting for the rain to go before we and it comes and goes it stops it's like a tap turn it on turn it off due to the monsoonal torrential downpour also taking place the helicopter couldn't take off so they're just sitting there in the apc waiting for the core to get out of there all of a sudden, the famous Cold Joy kidnapping takes place by some Aussie soldiers from 5RAR. These Anzacs didn't want to miss the chance to have the famous Cold Joy play a private concert for them. A couple of guys come in the, the back of the APC and ask, would I speak with the guys in their, uh, in their vehicle? And I said, no, we've got to get out of here. We've got to be out of the place. He said, the choppers can't take off in this. He said, just come down and talk to us. And I said, no, oh, all right. I thought that was all right. <laughs> and I just, he said, hold my shirt, because it was raining. I held my shirt with my head down. He said, in here. In here, in here. And I jumped in the back of the Jeep, it was. He jumped on top of me, and somebody else jumped on top of me, and they took off through this muddy field. I don't know how we stayed in our wheels. And uh, then he introduced himself as Sergeant Tazzy Wass, and I'm from Five Ra. We didn't get the show, so we've kidnapped you. So that was the start of another new uh, journey for Cold Joy. These guys have, have, have grabbed you, and you're not going anywhere. They've, they've got the famous Cold Joy in there. You know, they've got their mitts on Cold Joy. And you're not going anywhere. And well, they, they, the choppers were not 
going to take off in that rain. And, um, and of course, when they say, when they called everybody out of the APC into the choppers, there was no me. I was <laughs> speeding down this, this rough road with a mob of, uh, of Australian uh, hooligans. And I met quite a few of them in latter life. And uh, so, uh, yeah, they got out. And that's when the whiz-bangs were flying about then. So I stayed the night. It was, it was a noisy night. But I slept in the Padre's tent because he couldn't get back and I couldn't get out. And they said, there's, there's the Padre's bed and there's your hole. I said, it's not a hole. It's only as deep as my shins. <laughs> I'd have dug it four foot deeper than that. I had to get in. And uh, Sergeant Maxie Smith, he gave me his, a pistol. He said, put this under your pillar. I should have slept on that. It was softer than the pillar. But anyway, the, uh, I was down at the command post for a while hearing the, uh, all the, the bits coming in of the, uh, of the injuries, the dead and the wounded. And um, so that's how I spent the night in the, under the rubber trees. And got up in the morning, went down to the helipad and sat there and, uh, and a little two-man helicopter came in and he started me asking me some questions. I said, I don't know, go up the top there, the command post is up there. And uh, then the uh, Sergeant Max Smith came and got me and said, come up and have some breakfast because we can't get, we're waiting for a chopper to get you back to Nuidat. And uh, so I went up there and I thought, I, th- I remember saying to myself, here I am on these duck boards. If I step off them, I'll be in <laughs> two feet of mud. <laughs> and a week or two before, I was in this luxurious um, <laughs> shower in Singapore with gold taps and goodness knows what. And anyway, I had some breakfast here at the sergeant's mess, at the um, officer's mess, and I went back down and sat at the uh, pad until the helicopter came and they took me back. Having survived the night, Cole was flown out of Nui Dat. They took me back, then I walked into the hospital where um, the uh, wounded guys were uh, from the night before, from the skirmish. And um, we just walked through talking to them. They just wanted somebody to talk to, and especially most of the towns I'd been through anyway, you know, like somebody from Wilcannia and somebody from <laughs> Burke and somewhere from, you know, Moama or down south and, and all these places. I'd been through there, yeah. And, uh, and I had recollections of the places, and it just made them feel better that they could talk to somebody outside of their of, of the war and the, the thing they'd been through and um, I, it's uh, we'll never know the um, the fear or the anxiety or the pain or anything that they suffer we say you um, we just yeah we say less we forget but we didn't know that night must have been pretty scary for you you know you're you you don't know where the joy boys are or paddy is a little paddy is or so oh i knew they were okay i knew they were okay and uh and i i did i didn't feel any any fear um i was in the perimeter um the shooting was a, a little way out not too far out i think i blamed myself a bit we did the three shows and i'm sure that the the um, 
the Viet Cong commander said, if he sings that bloody bye-bye baby again, I'll go mad. Well, and so when I went into it for the third time, he said, that's it, attack. And so I think I brought it on a bit. As you were talking about with, with the hospitals and seeing those those young young men in those sorts of positions, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a terrible situation that, that you found yourself in obviously you're there boosting morale and 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 giving these guys a bit of comfort of home but again it's obviously something that that's that's stuck with you for 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 this time oh yeah it has done but then again i look at the other side too look at all the the um in world war one and two and and vietnam and korea um there's all young men from the other side too and women and so forth that are, that um, lose husbands, wives, brothers, relations, fathers. It's um, it's just a no-win situation. And who wins? The war is over. Hooray! Who win? Who won? Because that sooner or later, you know, Germany fought two and got beaten in two, and now they're one of the leading nations in the world. Um, you know, who won the war? That's, that, that doesn't work out. And uh, Japan's has, has flourished ever since. And, and uh, no, it doesn't make, I can't work it out. But still, again, <laughs> I'm, I might be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it must have given you, I don't know if a good feeling's the word, but a, a good feeling to know that, you were giving these guys a little piece of home, you know. You're you're playing your cold joy and the joy boys and little Paddy, and you're up on stage or the makeshift stage, and you're you're playing to these people, and and you're giving them giving them something. Oh out yeah, of the well order. that's that's mainly what they wanted was a, a touch of home. Um, this they just um, they relate to that. After the, uh, I mean, they have great mateship in the army, navy, air force, or wherever they may be, um, and a lot of them just lose their mates. Then a lot of them, when they come back here to into Civvy Street, it's like me being on tour for six, just lousy six weeks, and I come home. You got to readjust again. So being over there in those conditions, um, and coming back and having to adjust to their family and. Uh, different lifestyle again, and uh, very difficult. So I can understand a lot of the, the head problems that come out of it, um, plus a lot of the atrocities that happen, whether they were part of it or, or they weren't. Um, just to shoot somebody else, take their life, and he could be 15, 14, 12, 22, it doesn't matter. Uh, whether that plays on their minds, I'm not sure. They say, well, that's it, they're the enemy, and and we're their enemy. Well, I spoke to Leon Isaacson, um, and he was with the Rajas, and he was saying that when the Rajas came back to Australia, they, they've got in a taxi at, at Kingsford Smith Airport, and they're driving along, and they've stopped at some traffic lights, and one of the cars backfired. And he said the three of them have dived onto the floor. Oh, yeah, and they're hit, thinking, the, hit the deck. Hit the deck. Well, we stayed at the Maya Court Hotel in, um, in Ho Chi Minh City, which was Seoul then, and... Up on the rooftop, they had uh, a cinema, and you could watch the movies or look over the edge, and you could see um, a kilometre, two kilometres out, you see traces going up and down. And, 
but we never felt we never felt threatened. We 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 were well looked after. And uh, as I said, they gave me a Maxie gave me a pistol. I'd have fired that like a machine gun if I had to. <laughs> but I, I, as I retreated. <laughs> It's a long way from Sydney Stadium, though, isn't it? Yeah, you've, you've been performing alongside some of the, the greats of all time and, you know, a few years later you find yourself in, in a jungle in a war zone. Yeah, I'd say it's very different. The spotlights are different. <laughs> you, you don't want a spotlight. No, we did um, very few nighttime shows. We didn't, they didn't, you didn't come out at night. After you finished that afternoon show, although we did do one six o'clock at the... Uh, evac hospital and that was um, the americans that are sending home uh, their injured that were they couldn't mend over there be it armless or legless or or whatever it may be and uh, um i, I was down in nar bay and i said where, where's this yeah where are we going to play he said over there i see over there and i said well there's got no lid on it and he said a lid i said yeah it's Mate, it's going to rain. He said, yeah, we don't care about the rain. I said, hey, I care about it. We've got electrical instruments and we're going to plan the rain. And so he said, you know, I, I never thought of that. So the, he calls out some waters and they pull some parachutes out and stretch them over the top of the, uh, of the stage. And then uh, one fellow come up after we finished the show and said, uh, well, I think we did two shows, and he said, where are you guys staying? I said, we're going back to uh, the city. He said, you, you ain't going now. He said, you've got to be off this road in one minute. And I said, what? I <laughs> Get in the trucks, everybody. So they all jumped in, the, in our bus thing. And I was in the truck and slammed the door on my thumb, which didn't impress me. And, uh, and we headed back and we did a show that night for at the EVAC hospital. But mostly they... We'd, Daylight hours only, but you might start at nine o'clock, but uh, nothing in the dark. You'd be a, a sitting shot, wouldn't you, with a spotlight on you, singing songs, especially if they didn't like your song. <laughs> so the troops, as you said, you start, at, you know, maybe your first show was nine o'clock, and once that was finished, those guys would head off to the pointy end, and some another another company would roll in. So you, you were playing to different audiences throughout the day, is that right? Oh, yeah, you play different audiences. Um, one show we did, and which I saw some photographs of, and, and was uh, when Paddy was on stage, and I was sitting down with uh, four guys that had stolen, the, taken the Colonel's Jeep from where they were. They were Australians, but the rest of them were all American. There, there was probably 160, 180 people there. And they said, we've knocked off the colonel's jeep. We know where he is and we know when we've got to get it back. And so uh, I sat with them for a while and, uh, and watched Paddy. And then I said, right, my turn. So I went up and did what I had to do. And, of course, they, as soon as their time was up, they took off. And so when the colonel come out from whatever he was doing, his jeep would be back there again. And, uh, oh, there's some larrikins over there. But um, the next day, that base got wiped out completely. And so all those fellows that saw that show, gone. And um, very sad. Very sad. But at the time, you don't hear that until later on. You know, that place you played uh, is, isn't in there anymore. Um, but, uh, it, it, but we had a lot of, there was a lot of fun times. 
and uh, and I guess it was all pretty light-hearted with the Joy Boys, and uh, um, that's the kind of guys that like, we just grew up like that, I suppose, and uh, made the best out of whatever happened. And uh, overall, no, we didn't feel... I never felt threatened. Well, these soldiers, they're, um, they're in a, a situation where it's the most... They're probably in the most abnormal place they could be, the most abnormal situation, but... For a moment, you guys gave them a bit of normality. They oh, got to listen to a bit of rock and roll. That's the um, that's the name of the game. That's what we were there for. And even um, just going through the um, um, the hospitals, and we only went through one Australian hospital. With, that was the night after a long tan. And um, I remember the um, the doctor, head doctor, coming through because he'd been working all night, and he and he threw us out. He didn't know who we were, but he threw us out. And uh, then later on he came and apologised, uh, but um, he was under great stress too and so forth, and whether he thought we'd be causing infections or something or other, or causing some kind of... But that was only... We didn't. We never sang any songs that I can recall as we went through there. It was just a matter of sitting and talking to the fellas in their beds. And once again, as you said, it was just the, uh, the link to home, which was a... Um, a huge medicine for them, and uh, and so any entertainers that go over, that uh, that do their stuff, they're they're certainly uh, um, they're certainly helping the cause. So at the time, as you know, you mentioned with Long Tan and and at Nui Dat, did you um, realise the significance, or did did the troops there did they realise the significance of that battle? Because it was something like. A hundred, hundred Aussies to to and hundred Australian and New Zealand guys to two and a half to five thousand Viet Cong, and it's 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 classed as one of the most decisive battles of of the Vietnamese War, the Vietnam War. Well, at the time they didn't know. They called back because Company A, so we call them that were out first as they came in. They crossed over with Company B and said, um, "There's a bit of." Um, things happening out there keep your eyes out so that as they came back we did a show for the guys that were already in the perimeter and then they came back in but it was the first guys that heard that had the show they could still hear us out in the as they went out into the field and uh, i'm sure that nobody knew the size of the uh Viet Cong army was out there they, they didn't know but um once again it's been proven that um the the heads um, made some mistakes, and uh, but how any of them got out of it, I don't know, because they were running short of ammo, and there wasn't, as you say, there wasn't many of them compared to the amount that were coming over. And over the perimeter that they were fighting, it wasn't a real big perimeter, and uh, and it's, it's quite quite amazing. But still, Australians are amazing people; um, they adapt more more so than most other people I've ever seen, especially out into the field. Um, but once again, we had a different way of running things as to the Americans. And um, But once again, the Americans wanted to talk about you Aussies and, and how good we were and so forth. And um, once again, uh, they could just talk to somebody outside of the job there that they've been sent to do. But there's a, there was a lot of... A lot of bad stories, but uh, of course you go to the next place and you 
get some more. Even after after the um, after the war had finished, I still had contact with uh, some Americans and so forth, and uh, they, they were a lot of them having awful problems, and um, so it affects. And I guess it must have affected them on both sides. Doesn't matter whether you're attacking or you're defending or whatever you're doing. No, as I said before, there's no winners. There's a saying that goes, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. And that's exactly what you're saying is on both sides of it, they they were fighting for their ideals and we were fighting for our ideals. And, and depends on what side of the divide you were, that you were the good side or the bad side. Well, like the Turks in, uh, in Gallipoli, they're defending their country. Here we are over there. <laughs> and in Vietnam, we're over there again. They're defending their country. And Ho Chi Minh, he was a... Initially, he was a... Um, he befriended the Americans. And part of their doctrine was he'd taken five or six things out of the American um, uh, doctrines and that, that he'd adapted... And he'd written four or five letters to them, and they didn't even bother answering. The Americans didn't bother answering. And, and then once again, of course, the French Foreign Legion lost the cream of their, their crop there, but they had a chance to get out, and they didn't take it. Americans went to back them up, of course, and because and America was our friend, we were over there too because our Prime Minister said so. Um, so... Uh, uh, the people at the top have got a lot to answer for, but then they pass on and the rest who's left got to wear it. And I hope we don't fall in the same holes again, but uh, who knows? Cole's even been made an honorary member of Five Ra. I'm a member of Five Ra. They're the mob that, that uh, did the kidnapping on the night of... Uh, uh, by the time I got back, by the way, and we kept getting phone calls... Get him back, get him back. And by the time uh, Sergeant Tazzy Was got me back, I was sitting in a chopper and the um, New Zealand gunners, the Kiwi gunners, that are great. They were, they were great at what they did and uh, they did a fly in the eye. And um, they were firing over at the top of the, of the, uh, the chopper. I'm sitting in a chopper and every salvo would go over and she'd rock like a <laughs> like an like a boat, and um, and that's when they came down and took me back up and put me in the padre's bed. But I um, um, oh, so you actually got into a chopper expecting to go again. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because they they kept on calling from the headquarters over and knew that to get me out of there. And uh, I'd be on the way back and he'd say, just call in, go in here, driver, sir. I was supposed to take him back. Go in here, driver. So they'd do another guitar and the singing would start again. And I didn't drink much then. I didn't drink, you know. By now I've had 11 beers, I think. Because every, every, and somebody picked me up on their back and run up to the next big tent and uh, out it comes again. And the next... Next morning, when I was sitting waiting for the chopper to come and the little and the scout one come in, and he said to me later on, w- "Weren't you just down at the helipad? I was up having breakfast in the su- in the officers' mess." I said, "Yeah, yeah, I was." He said, "Look, that 
what I, that, that stuff I was talking to you about, he said, that's classified. And, and I said, mate, I didn't have a clue what you were talking about, so forget it. He said, well, yeah, I thought you had too much hair to be a captain. So suddenly I find they've taken my civvy shirt at the 5 R guys and they've put me on and that somebody else's shirt and they've changed it. Now I still have the epaulettes at home. There's two bars. I don't know what I was for that. And the other one's got the three, three pips for a captain on the epaulettes. So I kept those epaulettes. And uh, um, he said, I thought you had too much hair to be a captain. And that's what it was. I was... But well, when I got back again from the changes of shirts, that's the one I ended up with, and with the uh, with the upper rank. <laughs> so uh, now, interesting, interesting. Now that when I think back, when I talk about it, of course, is uh, you think back of, uh, of a lot of things that happened, a lot of things that could have happened, and um, just overall, what what it was, it was certainly a big part in the life of the rock and roller of Cold Joy. As, as you mentioned before, you, you've been made an honorary member of Five Ra and you, you said only two people, yourself, and who's the other person? I can't recall. They did tell me. They did tell me and uh, I found they were having a, a get-together up in uh, uh, on the Gold Coast and I had the night off, so I thought I'll... I'll go up and surprise them. So I went up there and said to the, the MC, mate, I'm going to go on and sing some songs. And I had, uh, I think I had my ukulele with me. So we did that and that sort of endeared me uh, a lot initially and then there's been other functions that I've uh, uh, been able to attend and, uh, you know, do a little bit. Everything helps. And uh, I've seen a lot of them, of course, have passed on since then. And, well, I'm getting close to the pass on. Maybe one of those will come and sing for me. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time, Cole. It's been great. Uh, you know, what, how, how do I, I can't say it's been great because we've, we've, we've touched on some very deep and, and sad moments. But, again, you, you gave these soldiers a... A little bit of glimmer of hope and a little a little moment of not actually being being in a war zone they were able to sort of just take their minds away f- for a moment and, and you know, yeah. it's something should be proud of yeah well that's um i'm happy that uh, if we done our bit if we did those um uh, and helped a little then we did our job thank you cheers mate Check out episode 5 of Awesome Mozzie Songs, as it features Cold Joy and the Joy Boys in their number one hit, Bye Bye Baby. Our sister podcast, All Australian Music Stories, takes a comprehensive look at their career, and it's also well worth a listen. We always like to go out with a tune to finish off each episode. Here's one of Sheldon's favourite Cold Joy songs, Take Me Back to Rock and Roll. It was released in the late 80s and is Cole's take on being a pioneer of rock and roll in Australia.
Molly, you've just listened to a podcast brought to you by Marcos Promotions, written and produced by my dad, Sheldon the Kangaroo Kip. And presented by Josh Urson. This is Molly Kidd saying to my good friend, Holly Kirsten, hit it, girl. I know